coming up on this episode of The Courage to Change. I had this idea uh, that I was supposed to go into this bank and it was kind of like my destiny and there's going to be this teller waiting for me and <laughs> and, and they're going to give me the money and I'm going to go and some of it I can use for what I want. Some of it, there's going to be some, <laughs> this, this is insane. You know, I, I thought there would be some kind of like, like code in the money, you know. Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to the Courage to Change, a recovery podcast. If you're here for the first time, thanks for coming. If you're here for the hundredth and sixth time, yes, we are on episode 106. Thanks for coming back. Today, we have Dawn Cummins, who is an author, transformational speaker, and coach. Dawn suffered for decades with the effects of trauma and addiction. These issues resulted in homelessness, damaged relationships, depression and anxiety, and unemployability. Dawn was repeatedly committed to mental health institutions and experienced extreme incarceration and isolation, having served over 20 years in prison for bank robberies. One day, Don had awakened to his inherent goodness and value. He saw that he was not a horrible person. He saw that he deserved to recover and that he was worth the hard work it would take to do so. So he embarked on a path of recovery, transforming his life in ways that had seemed impossible, experiencing success in relationships, business, leadership, and helping others recover. Don's story is detailed in his new book, The Prison Within, a memoir of breaking free. When he's not hanging out with his family or working on a project, Don's usually riding his bike or playing his guitar. Oh, Don, Mr. Don, Don the bank robber Don. What a story. Man, this guy, he's just been through it, been through the ringer. And it's crazy how it starts with him being this happy-go-lucky kid and in the neighborhood at three and four years old and... I guess some people in his neighborhood decided that he needed to be toughened up a bit. And the story of how that happens and what that does to him at four years old, really, you know, when you hear what the difference, how how quickly he changed and his personality changed. And then the result of that over years and years, this compounding different scenarios of trauma By the time that Don was 15 years old, he had been arrested 32 times. And he remembers that because that's when he, at 16, he was sentenced to his first long stint in prison for two years. And then his story today is just really incredible. Right now, he's actually living in an RV with his family, his wife and two kids, and they're traveling the country. And it's just a really incredible story. So... Without further ado, I give you Don Cummins. All right, episode 106, let's do this. You're listening to The Courage to Change, a recovery podcast. We are a community of recovering people who have overcome the odds and found the courage to change. Each week, we share stories of recovery from substance abuse, eating disorders, grief and loss, childhood trauma, and other life-changing experiences. 
Come join us no matter where you are on your recovery journey. Don, thank you so much for being here. We have started season three with a, a a new tradition, which is the worst haircut photo. So you sent you have this picture. It's your arrest picture from arrest date of 12, 7, 1991. And so yep, I for remember this that one. photo, tell me, tell me what you, I bet. <laughs> tell me, tell me what's going on in this photo. What, what's your life like right in this photo? Okay, so I had just been arrested uh, in Orlando, and I was at the Orlando County Jail being booked in. And uh, I was on the run from from the cops for a bank robbery that I committed uh, in Tampa Bay. And um, to get out of there, they were all around my motel room or the motel I was staying at, and they were looking for me. And so I I had some hair dye ready and I dyed it really quick. I was and I, but, okay. You know, I was gonna say. I was gonna say. I said like, this looks like some some freshly black hair hair dye. Okay. It is. It's uh it's pretty crazy looking. And I uh, so I hitchhiked uh to Orlando to make my getaway and was at the laundromat when the cops rolled up on me and asked me if I was me and I said no. I'm uh I'm uh I made up a name and said I was with a local band and we're playing mm-hmm. out and I said out like oot with a Canadian accent to kind of Smart. lend some authenticity to it. And um, yeah, yeah. So, but they already knew it was me. Someone had turned me in for a thousand bucks. And so uh, that was that. Oh. So, but, so like the hair is very fair faucet. Is that like, cause you had the hair before you had the dye. Yeah. Were you in a band? I, I had been in a few um, that time when I got out. Um, I had just gotten out of federal prison the year before. And so okay. um, I stayed clean a little while and I, I wound up getting into a band and uh, doing some some drugs after a show. And that was it. And uh, and that's what yep. I wound up with uh, some black hair in Orlando mm-hmm. on the run. Yep. And about to spend the next 15 years uh, in prison. So oh my God. it's like it's I yeah. there are so many things to your story that I relate to, believe it or not. Um, and <laughs> I I. It's so funny how you can, we can be from like have totally different circumstances, age, you know, and, and yet drugs and alcohol bring us to similar places, right? Like they, you know, they, they tear everyone's life down and in, in, in certain types of ways, you know, for people. And, and especially as a young person, you know, becoming a ward of the state and that kind of thing, like those are not normal things that happen to normal, you know, kids in, in, in normal families. Like that's the kind of stuff that happens when you're drinking and using. And that happened to you when you were what, 13? When, yes. When I was 13, I I was put away for the first time. And, um, right. And you, that's when you became a ward of the state, but you, you know, as happens with many of us, this, a lot of this started with trauma, right? And, you want to talk to us a little bit about that? Because I think a lot of people listening can relate to that story. Yeah, sure. I, um, you know, I, it's funny, but when I first came into recovery and I look back at my life, I, 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 I came from the perfect family in my mind, mm. you know, mm-hmm. I came from a line of people who were, who are so awesome. And, uh, and, and they, then they are, you know, I love my family and, uh, uh, but I didn't look realistically at it because I had blocked so many things out. 
And, right. um, you know, my parents used uh, when I was young and I was exposed to some things I, I shouldn't have been, you know. I was abused by a family friend when I was real young, like like probably four, three or four. And uh and and, and it wasn't sexual abuse, at least to the to my recollection, it wasn't uh, but my father told me later that that neighbor had complained that I was so happy-go-lucky that he needed to teach me to be tough. And my memories of that are being, you know, uh, just scared out of my mind and threatened with death and all this heavy machinery wow. in the basement. And so I was terrorized. And after that, I was – I my personality, I – believe in retrospect and talking to my family i it it it, it, it changed i had nightmares of the scenario in, my, in nightly and uh so i my personality changed and i became kind of reserved and i had a posture of kind of fear toward the world i believe i wasn't as happy yeah. or lucky anymore you know yeah i guess it worked yeah yeah it worked i uh, uh i got toughened up you know and so uh yeah. i i um, we had a family friend later on that, that committed suicide right in front of me when I was nine. And, uh, Billy was, uh, he was, uh, uh doing a lot of drugs around that time and got paranoid and thought the government was after him. And, uh, you know, we went fishing one night and he, he, he did it violently, not with a gun, but he pulled out a huge buck knife and, uh, dove upon it in the shallow water while we were fishing, you know? And you're nine, you're nine, like, and you don't know that he's on drugs. Yeah, I didn't know any of that. I mean, I knew my parents yeah. smoked pot and I was really curious and I was waiting for the next chance I, I could get to to try some. And uh, mm-hmm. um, but, yeah, I, I, I'll never forget when I saw what he had done and my my dad and Billy's brother Kip picked him up out of the water and he was bleeding and his, he kind of locked eyes with me. And I I I. Uh, I wanted to be getting in the truck while my, my, my dad called the, the paramedics. And I, I remember looking in the rear view mirror of telling myself with tears running down my face, Donnie, you can make it through this. You can just smile and get through this. And so I did. And my tears went away. You know, I was just able to shut mm. that off uh, in the moment. And that's kind of like my story in, in, in a way, um, my ability to feel emotion and to, um, you know, to process that in a way that that, that honors the truth and my truth um, was was really damaged. You know, my trust, you know, I never thought about it this way until much later, but my my security was was really not not there anymore. My, my parents met well, but my dad never discussed that with me. You know, and you, that incident. Yeah. You know, I mean, you would. Yeah, you would, I, that was going to be my next question. What was the conversation that happened after that? There there was none. Um, wow. it, a couple yeah. months later, I, I asked him why. Why, Daddy? Why? You know, and he, he told me, well, I, we'll talk about that later. You know, and okay. later came uh, quite a few months later uh, and it was a little too late. You know, uh, he said, okay. you know, Billy was drugs and he got ill and, and you know, he you know was paranoid and thought people were after him and. You know, he was doing a lot of meth, you know, and stuff like that. Yeah. And, uh, so by the by that time, I had already come up with my own narrative that in my mind, and it's funny how we do that. You know, if we don't have an answer, we'll find one You know, yep. as crazy yep. as, it, as it is. And, and in my story, Billy was a hero that he was going through something. Oh. I didn't know what it was, but um, okay. he took some extreme action to do something that he knew he needed to do in the moment. And, and that's one hell of a guy, you know, to do something that oh, crazy. Okay. You know? And so that's. I know that's that's a really crazy way to look at no, it. No, no, it's not. You're 10. No. You're 10 and you come up yeah. with your own narrative. I mean, actually, yeah. it's it's actually the optimistic side yes. of the narrative. Yeah. So. Yeah. So I learned to do that well, you know, and uh, yeah. I, 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 
we moved back down to Florida. We we moved back and forth from Florida to New York for uh, for uh, for the first ten years of my life, eleven or twelve times. And so we moved for the final time back down to Florida, and it was right after we got to Florida when I, I got high the first time. When I started to get high, when I got high for the first time, um, I felt connected. I was with some some friends outside of a. Uh, uh, the Safety Harbor Middle School, where they'd get together at this uh, tree and get high uh, before school. And uh, they looked and dressed like what my parents used to. Mm. My parents had, you know, they they had uh, started going to church and they got clean. And on one level, I felt like I was like going back and, and it was familiar to me. And it, it was uh, something that I could relate to, you know, uh, the way they mm-hmm. talked and dressed and everything. And so... My life went downhill uh, almost immediately. You know, I, I began skipping school and uh, I I, I uh, would run away from home and sneak out my window at night and uh, uh, hang out with older kids and stuff like that. And uh, it got so bad that I, I was arrested a couple times for public intoxication uh, at the age of 11 and 12. So nine, just to get the timeline, nine, the friend commits suicide in front of you. Ten, you get high. And by 15, you'd been arrested 32 times? Yes. Yes, that's correct. So in that, so when you say it got bad immediately, I mean, you went to work right, right away. Because five years, 32 times, that's, 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 you're putting up some good numbers. Yes. Yes. I, 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 I put them up well. And um, so <laughs> <laughs> the, the thing that happened that kind of brought a lot of that on, you know, um, I didn't just go out and start committing crime, you know, and that, was, that wasn't my goal. And, and I just wanted to get high and to be left alone. You know, I had become a real uh, trouble at home. You know, my, I had a younger brother and a younger sister and they saw what I was doing and I'm running away from home and skipping school and getting arrested for, right. you know, stuff. And I got expelled from two schools for uh, possession of drugs. And so my one day my mom told me we're, we're going to go to a new school and I got one picked out for you. And, um, you know, and so, <laughs> I know where that's going. Yeah. Yeah. And the next thing I know, I'm in a room with a couple of older kids who told me I've just been committed to straight incorporated, a inpatient drug program for teens. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, what state was, what, what, uh, was it in Florida? It was, it was in, in Tampa okay. Bay. So, uh, you know, I, it, that was like a, an abandonment for me, you know, and yeah. I, I couldn't believe it, you know, and I, I, that I, it was like a punch in the gut. And so, uh, I wanted to get straight, you know, I wanted to get clean. I wanted to go back home and, and somehow not use anymore. And this is the first time that I ever thought about life without drugs. You know, it just never occurred to me. I had, right. I'd stopped playing baseball and I stopped playing my guitar and all I wanted to do was get high. And, and, and I was thinking, well, maybe, maybe baseball and the guitar, it sounds pretty good right now, you know? And right. So, yeah. <laughs> I, um, yep. I, but, but I could not, stand to be in this program where I had to look at myself and talk about things like honesty mm. and all these principles and stuff like that. And, and, um, it, it was an abusive program as well. They, they deprived you of food and sleep and, you know, they, I, I began running away from there and I ran away a total of 10 times from that place. And when I'd run away, I come back and they, 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 uh, gang up on me in a room and kick you and all that stuff. And, so um, I, I stole a car to get away from there. And that's what started my involvement in the juvenile justice system mm. in, in a serious way, you know. And so. Right. So basically, my when I left home at 13, I was put in that drug program and I, I really never went home to live again as a teenager. 
um, yeah, the rest of my community. I relate to that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I, I went to uh, a program at 16 in Utah and, you know, emotionally abusive and the whole thing. And it's interesting to hear that they were, you know, how long they've been doing this. Like if you're underage, what they do, yeah. you were, you, you talk about like, you've talked about being preyed on by older men. Was that in the program? No, that that was when I would run away from the program. And I oh, okay. I knew I couldn't go home because they would bring me back to the program. And right. I was just on the street and I'm 13, you know, and I didn't, right. you know, so I, you know, and, and, and I felt so much guilt and shame over those episodes at that time that I, 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 I just kind of blocked it out of my mind. And I thought that there was something, you know, I thought it was my fault, you know, and I'm a guy, you know, and therefore somehow I'm supposed to be in control of this situation yet it happened. And, and, you know, it didn't enter my mind that, Hey, you're 13 and this guy's 45 that uh, maybe it's his fault, you know, and maybe it's not a matter of, you know, you know, and, and, I just didn't think that way. And do you, so, did you see or have you come into other come into contact with other people who have that story who were young boys on the street, you know, looking for drugs and similar things have happened? Is that something you've heard about? Yes, yeah, I have. Um uh, in general terms, you know, I mean, I haven't had a lot other guys that I've talked to, yes. But it's not something that's it's still not something that's talked about a lot, you know. You know, when you're young and you're on the street, you know, the story is, is that for young people on the street, especially males, that you're tough and that you stuff like you, 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 you know, you use your wits and you use your strength and your power to get what you need to get. And it doesn't include anything like that, you know, because that would make you weak, at least in, in, in my experience, that's the narrative that, that a lot of uh, young men who go through that adopt yeah you know? so um but yes and that's 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 very common i i believe and i know from my experience personally and talking to other people that yeah that that's a thing and um and that has to be dealt with at some point you know uh shame right and guilt and all of that so yeah i think that's a really good point that has to be dealt with at some point mm-hmm. like that's a really good <laughs> that's a really good point to add to it which is you know, that you, you can't ignore your way out of that stuff. Like you can't ignore your way out of those memories. And, and, uh, you know, I, to me, what I'm hearing is you had compounding trauma, right? Like yes. this, this just compounding, it starts off with this, you know, scared straight at four yeah. situation. And then it's just this compounding trauma. And when you're running away from the trauma that's going on at the program, you're picking it up on the street and that's compounding and compounding, right? So it's just getting worse. Definitely. Yes. Yeah. And so um, there I am at, at, at 13, 14 and, and, and 15. And uh, I, by 15, I was arrested 32 times. And uh, I, I know that it was 32 times because I, I kind of kept count myself, but also a judge kept repeating it. Like, I can't believe it. Yeah. 32 times, son, you know, and, and, and that judge sentenced me to two years in adult prison when I was, when I had just turned 16. And that was for running away from a, a state reformatory and jumping the fence and stealing a car and getting, uh, causing a massive pileup on, on highway on I-75 in, in Florida. And so... I got in some trouble. And, uh, and so that was my first uh, stint in prison, you know, and. Uh, right. And how was that being 16? That was by then I, I, 
I had learned to put on that face and, and be tough, you know, and put off that image that, you know, don't mess with me. And, and, uh, I, I, the first thing I did, cause I was, I was, I was, I was petrified, you know, when I, when I went in. And so the first thing I did is I shaved my head bald <laughs> because yeah. I thought that that would project, you know, that I'm hardcore and all this. And, and, uh, right. and so, um, but I found ways to adapt and, you know, the, the, you know, the, the first thing I did is I found, uh, the, a music, uh, a band there and in every prison pretty much there's at the chapel there's a group of guys that 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 play music you know for the services you know and some prisons have an actual band room where you can play what you want you know but uh generally there you have a bunch of guys that that don't want to be in the chapel but that's the only place they can get to a a set of drums or a a bass or or whatever and so um so I would go there and I could play, you know? And so I found a way of making friends and a way of getting protected and a way of uh, feeling like uh, I had some security there. And so music was not only a way for me to, to feel a connection with something much larger than myself, but it was also a way to, to, to survive, you know? Yeah. And so, um, that's, that's what I would do. And, and, uh, so I had friends pretty quickly there and don't mess with that guy. He's part of our band and, uh, and he's good. And so that's what I did. And, um, and so my time there was pretty, was pretty easy, you know? And, and after that, my general, when it comes to like violence and stuff like that, my time has generally been pretty easy. I, you know, I've had incidences like anyone else, but, the biggest thing that sticks out to me through the lens of recovery when I look back is is how how um how cold I was able to become, you know. Mm, because the things that yeah. I witnessed and I saw around me, I was able to based upon my 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 uh disconnection with my emotions, I was able to just shut things off, you know. And I I I suffered from an inability to to empathize, you know, and an inability to really connect with other people and it was just compounded, like you like you mentioned. You know, is they say that being incarcerated long term is traumatic in and of itself. You know, just oh, because yeah. of the continual expo- all the things you see, yeah, and the the noise level, and then you're oh, interesting, always uh, fearful. You know, even if there's not a situation right, you know, happening immediately in front of you, it's 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 always a potential for violence and hyper vigilance. Uh, yeah, yeah, hyper vigilance. You know, and uh, and it has an effect after years and years. So you, I mean, it's interesting because the, the disconnection that you talk about as, you know, part of what you did, it, it, it reminds me very much of the same thing you did to find protection and get the band, you know, it go into the band in the chapel, which is that's just survival. Like you can't survive in those scenarios if you react to all the stimuli, the painful stimuli that you witness that you just won't survive. So, you know, when you talk about being disconnected, I think, yeah, like what else would you do? You know, you can't be connected to every person's plight that walks in the door, every, you know, fight or injury that happens, like you, you wouldn't last, you can't survive. And so it, it makes complete sense to me that, you know, that would be the case. Plus, you know, when you think about the disconnection that you started with as a kid, like the scared straight thing, and then mm-hmm. going back to the the suicide and not talking about that, like all of that is setting you up for that mentality of like, I can't, I just can't go there. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. You start, so you get out of prison and you start, but you, you start the cycle of drugs, but you go, you get to crack and shooting heroin. How did you get go quickly from, cause before it sounds like you were using pot and alcohol. 
And then when you got out, it went, you went hardcore drugs. What's, what was the evolution there? Well, when, when I got out at 17, uh, from that, mm-hmm. uh, I, I almost 18, I, the people that I would, that I fell in with, they, they were just doing more than that. There was cocaine was available and, uh, right. and, and the crack, I didn't start doing crack yet right at that point, but cocaine and, you know, I wanted to shoot drugs, you know, I just heard all about <laughs> it and I just said, man, I, yeah, I can't yeah. wait till I meet someone who's got a needle and some dope. Cause I'm going to try that, right. you know? And so, right. but when I first got out, I, 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 I made like a, a half-assed effort to not do any of that. I, I, I told myself, well, I'm going to, I'm going to get out and I'm going to get a job and I'm going to, you know, meet some people and get into a band and, you know, who knows what will happen and, and my life will be good now, you know, cause that's all that I need is just to be free and to have a job and have some friends. And, and, you know, really what I wanted underneath that was to be connected with people. You know, uh, right. but, but I didn't know how to do that and I didn't know how to talk to people and um, I didn't, I felt different. And that's the one thing like prison does is in uh, any type of isolation, really, but it makes you feel subhuman, you know, and especially yeah. knowing that I've been put there for something that's bad. You know, I am a bad person. And so uh, these other people out here, they, they are not bad like I am, you know, and that's the mm. mentality. And so anyway, I didn't last for long. I, I didn't know how to deal with my emotions and so I, I, I sought out drugs and got high and, um, and so I started doing cocaine and, um, I, I wound up hitchhiking to California, uh, when I, when I turned 18 and I brought, uh, an acoustic guitar with me and I was going to make it big. And, uh, uh, but really I was running away because I had, I, I had, oh, I had done somebody's cocaine. Like I'd done a, a, a bunch of it and did a few bad deals with people and I, I had to get away, you know? And so I, I, uh, I didn't think about that. I just thought I'm going to be a rock star. That's why I'm going there. And, uh, so, so I did. And I landed in Los Angeles in, uh, 1984. Okay. And, and at the time were you addicted to cocaine? Uh, I was, you know, I, I, I was just snorting it, but, um, uh, it was in, in Los Angeles when I started doing crack and, uh, on and off, uh, for the next few years, I was back to Florida, LA, Florida, LA, and things would get so bad out there and I would be homeless and on the street and sick. And I, I would, I would, I would hitchhike back to Florida and, and move in with my parents for a few weeks until they kicked me out. And that was kind of like the cycle. It, I, my behavior was just unacceptable. And so I, I, I became a liability for the family kind of, you know, and, and so, right. you know, I, they just couldn't tolerate that. And so I, I, I would go back to LA and I'm gonna make another stab at it. And this time I'm really gonna to do well, you know. And uh so that that was my cycle pretty much. And the last time was was uh really, really off the chain because I that's when I wound up robbing a bank for the first time. Stay tuned to hear more in just a moment. Hi. It's Christiana, your producer. And if you're like me and you love coffee or coffee alternatives, you can now shop with the cause by visiting lionrock.life and clicking on shop. 100% of the profits fund substance abuse treatment for those who can't afford it. You can't really go wrong. We're now carrying, in addition to our amazing coffee, if you haven't tried it, matcha maiden organic matcha powder. Love me some green tea. Golden Grind Turmeric Latte Blend, and Prana Chai Original Blend. So we've got something for everyone. We love mixing these delicious coffee alternatives with something like milk or almond milk, oat milk, or even just hot water. 
the organic matcha powder is vegan-friendly, gluten-free, dairy-free, and simply delectable. The turmeric latte blend, the winner of Australia's Best Beverage product in 2017, helps bring about relaxation and restoration while also nurturing your body. The prana chai, that has been my pregnancy craving, it's amazing, is blended in Melbourne from all natural ingredients and uses 100% Australian quality honey blended by hand with tea and whole spices. By shopping for coffee and coffee alternatives at lionrock.life, you are also helping provide substance abuse treatment for someone who can't afford it. Your favorite drink with the cause. So again, go to lionrock.life, click on shop, and you'll see our coffee and our brand new coffee alternatives. We hope that you enjoy it. Send us a picture. Maybe we will feature you on our Instagram as well. So, okay. How does the thought, because like, you know, I, I obviously, you know, I'm sure it was a bit different in the 80s as well, but how does the thought of like, I'm going to rob a bank and that's a good idea come to be? Like, I'm going to get away with it. Because growing up for me, no one got away with robbing, robbing a bank. So like, you, that was just, that was a... a you know, not a, there were so many other things you could do. It just wasn't, it didn't, it didn't occur to many people just because you couldn't get away with it. So like, could, had, did you know that people got away with it? What was the the thought process around, I'm going to rub a bank? Yeah, it's, it's kind of complex. And um, so like there, there was this aspect to me that I, I was a thrill seeker, you know, and mm-hmm. I, I, I had done some crime, you know, and I, 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 there was part of me that enjoyed being chased by the police, you know, and, <laughs> uh, I, I, it was like, I got a rush off of it, you know? And so, and I had thought about robbing banks before I knew that if you pass them a note, they'll handy the money, you know, it's mm-hmm. a matter of policy. You know? and, and so, and and that's where the money is at the bank, right? So right, it, right. it seemed like a it just seemed like a straightforward kind of conclusion. Right. But when cut it, out the middleman. Yeah, yeah. All, all of those middlemen and uh, mm-hmm. but I, the thing the dynamic that kind of played out me with me wasn't just that. It was uh I when I when I went in, I had always been up for several days. And it's kind of odd, but that the whole you know, the paranoia and the delusion would set in. And after a couple, after a few years of smoking crack, the way that I was, and the same thing almost that I I understand Billy, the one who committed suicide in front of Mm -hmm. me, began to kind of happen to me. You know, I, Mm -hmm. I would get high and almost immediately I thought that the FBI was after me. I thought that people were watching me, you know, and I started hearing voices in my head. You know, and this would only happen when I had been up, you know, after a lot of heavy cocaine use uh, or, you know, I might go to sleep or whatever after a few days and I would wake up in the first or second hit and I was right back there again, you know. Mm-hmm. And so um, I had this idea uh, that I was supposed to go into this bank and it was kind of like my destiny and there's going to be this teller waiting for me. And, <laughs> and, and they're going to give me the money and I'm going to go and some of it. I can use for what I want. Some of it, there's going to be some, <laughs> this, this is insane. You know, I, I thought there would be some kind of like, like code in the money, you know, and that's just, you know, God, I, so, I mean, anyway, that's where so my, they sent you, they sent you to four years. Yes. They, they, they sentenced me to four years in the federal system. And, and ironically, I, I, I did my federal time 
uh, at FCI Phoenix in Black Canyon, just not too far from where I am right now. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so I, I, uh, they had a band room there that was not in the chapel. And so what I did is I went down there and I met some people down there and fell in with them. And I got a, uh, a thrash metal band uh, called Ill Repute. And all of us were bank robbers, all four of us. And we were truly hardcore. And, uh, you know, we, 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 we did our time like that. We just played music and played guitar all the time and talked about how when we got out, we were going to make it big. And, you know, reality was was I I, I didn't like reality, you know, reality. I vote, yeah. vote no on that, you know, and I, I, I would always go for uh, a fantasy that made me feel good to think about and to dream about and to avoid, you know, why in the hell I'm at a federal correctional institution serving four years for bank robbery, you know? And, um, yeah, so that, was that like, must've felt unreal. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it was, you know, so unreal that I'm, I'm, I'm not going to even deal with that, you know? And, and, right. um, so, you know, and, and, and not that I wasn't talented or that the other guys weren't, uh, but you just normally don't get successful, uh, in any industry when you're, when you're an addict on that level, you know, and doing the things that, that I was doing. And so eventually, you know, I got out and I, I went back to Tampa Bay and my parents let me come home. And so it was, um, I was really glad to finally uh, go home and I was going to stay clean. And that was my intention. And me and my brother, were going to get into a band. He plays drums and we're going to start something great. And, and we made a start at that. Um, but, um, as we were talking about earlier, I, I wound up joining some other band that already had gigs and I, started getting high and uh within a matter of months i was doing the same thing and i I committed six bank robberies in the tampa bay area and i got sentenced to a total of 22 years as a habitual offender in the florida department of corrections did you so wait did you get away with any of the bank robberies like or was it like a period of time and they they got the string of them they they, there was a period of time and they they are well I don't statute of limitations and all that. I don't know. I they 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 arrested me for quite a few bank robberies, and it's possible that there might have been more. Uh, but so I I yeah, pretty much they arrested me for everything that I. That but I they did. didn't catch like they would catch you after a string of them. Yes. Yeah. I I oh I I gotcha. Yes, I did get away. I I got away till the next one, and then till the next one, and then till the next one, and finally. Okay. And then they would string them all together, more or less. Yeah. So, like, if there were six or seven, then I would be charged with seven. And uh, got it. Okay. Okay. But uh, and that's that's what um, that's how I wound up in Orlando with some really bad hair. (laughs) 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 All of that is to say that that's how I ended up in Orlando. Okay. So you get sentenced to twenty-two years, but serve. 15? Yes. Um, I was sentenced as a habitual offender, but the, I I was allowed to earn some gain time, they call it, and, and get out somewhat early. And um, so I, I, I did I did good. I, be, I behaved myself and I, I stayed out of trouble. I got in some more bands and I uh, but it was different this time because I I was confronted with something that that I never really give, given a lot of thought before to. And that was what, what the hell am I doing here? You know, I, (laughs) I, I, you know, it's quite a, uh, you would think, you know, that you would, you would take a look at that much, much sooner, you know, but uh, after the judge sentenced me to 22 years, I was in my cell. You've got some time to think. Yeah. Yeah. A whole lot of time. And um, 
it was like it was like a ton of bricks on my shoulders and i know that's cliche but that's really what it felt like and i just felt crushed you know and and so i i'm like i'm 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 23 and they just sentenced me to 22 years and that's freaking crazy you know this is not right. normal this is not normal and i just couldn't I, it, what the hell is wrong with me and i i started you know, I didn't know what the solution was. And I didn't even know if, if if it's a little bit too late for a solution now. I mean, 22 years, geez, man, you know, so, but I started looking and I, I, I got into religion for quite some time and devoted to studying and learning. And I, I mean, I went over, I mean, I, I learned Greek and I learned Hebrew and I started learning Latin and I'm re- going to read the original languages this stuff was written in. And, and um, I, my grandmother who was, you know, pretty, pretty, you know, uh, she's, you know, she's uh, a woman of faith, I guess you could say. And, and very, de- she paid for some correspondence courses f- for me. And I went to Bible college via the mail correspondence and did really well, got straight A's. And I learned, I learned that I, 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 you know, I had potential to, you know, I had some aptitude and I could learn things and score out and do really well. And I, I kind of felt good about that and aside from all the, the religious stuff, you know, and, and, you know, I, I did that for seven years and, um, I, um, uh, I didn't listen to any rock and roll. <laughs> I didn't do nothing. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I know. It was like, it was crazy. <laughs> and so I was just really trying to be as straight and narrow as I could. Right. I, I didn't. Opposite like, direction. Yeah. Yeah. I was like totally standoffish to the general population. And I, I have this, you know, and, and, you know, at some point I, I just had this, you know, and I, I had a philosophy and worldview that was just explained everything so neatly. You know, everything was buttoned up. I'm this way because I'm, I was born to be a, a sinner. You know, I was, I was, right. and 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 and, but now I'm okay because I believe that a certain thing happened in history, two thousand, whatever. You know, and so that makes me right. okay. You know, and that's all. Now I just have to learn to defend this belief. You know, and so right. that's why I'm studying so I can, you know. Uh, Wait, was this in prison or out of prison? It was, it was in prison, you know. In prison. Okay, yeah. okay. Yeah. So you do that for seven years and then what, what, where was there a change of rock and roll got too enticing? Uh, something like that. Actually, I, well, it, that came back in the picture, but it, it was, um, I, I, I was just sitting, sitting in my cell one day and, and I don't know I started thinking about some of the stuff that I've been reading and I had, you know, I mean, I, I read the Bible, I read the Quran, I read the, you know, the whatever. And, and, and I, for me, you know, and I, 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 I just realized, man, you know, whatever it is, is, and I don't know what the hell everything is all about. Mm-hmm. Uh, what am I doing? I'm just spinning my wheels, trying to figure all this stuff out. <laughs> and, and, uh, I don't know what to think about anything anymore. And I just kind of lost my faith, you know? And um, so I said, crap, man, you know, I'm, I'm at the East unit at the Florida state prison, but in the West unit, they, they have a band room and they don't have it over here. And so I, I complained of chest pains because they had a medical unit over there. And uh, so they transfer, transferred me to the medical unit on the other side and, and boom, I'm, 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 I'm playing in a band again and I feel kind of <laughs> halfway good. And so <laughs> I wound up there and that's in the middle of my prison sentence. I'd already had seven in and I, um, you know, made some friends over there and, but it was, a, it was really, it was, it was a difficult time because I, you know, had gone through this major kind of shift in how I thought and I thought I knew everything and then I didn't. And the thing was, that I never, I never took a look at me. 
You know, I was looking for an external answer to stuff to make sense of everything. And I kind of fell back in some things that I had been taught and picked that up. And, you know, ultimately it wasn't helpful to me. Uh, It just, just on some levels it it was good. And on some levels it made me a jerk probably. And then on some other (laughs) levels it it was, uh, you know, it helped me, you know, it, it got me educated yeah. in some ways, which was great. You yeah. know, I, I read the dictionary, yeah. you know, <laughs> so, yeah. um, you no, know, I mean, it sounds yeah. like it there, it sounds like there was, there was definitely value. And, and so you, you went in at 23 and you got out at 39. Yes, I did. And what was the craziest thing that had, ch- I've, I've heard different stories about people like they went in before automatic flushing toilets and they came out and they went to a bathroom and the toilet flushed on them and they flipped out because they didn't know what was happening (laughs) or like things like that. Like what was the, you come out and back into the world, what was one of the craziest adjustments? There was this new thing when I got out and it was called the internet. And Mm, uh, that'll do it. Yeah. That was there. There were cell phones too. And now some people had, they weren't called cell phones, really, I don't think. But every once in a great while, when I had been out the time before that, I would see somebody, some business person in a car with this huge phone with this huge mm-hmm. antenna sticking out of it. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was the government or something. I didn't know who that was, but those phones are not for everyday people. And so there was, you know, we we were we we got modern really quick and there was all this technology out there and um I, in the last year or two before I got out, I started reading up on it because I thought I got to know about yeah. what's going on here. And, and so uh, I, it didn't really help much. You know, you know, it's, it's not, <laughs> okay, I know there's a thing called HTML, but what, what does that tell me? You know? Right, so, right, right. You know, so yeah, that was a major shock. You know, just everything had changed. And um, Were you introduced to any recovery in in prison? I think I went to one, I went to one 12 step meeting because I wanted to get out of the cell block uh, in the evening. And I, I wasn't, there was some guy that came in and he shared with us, but I, I was not interrelating or looking for the things that I had in common with people. I was always looking for the things that were different, you know? And so he dressed different than than me and he was had a lifestyle that I didn't even want to think about having. And so I, I, yeah, I, I just kind of, was glad to drink the coffee and um got it you know, okay okay and then you get out and you start drinking and using again and rob another bank yes there's a little bit of, of a process to that and um so my my when i was younger my my parents didn't have a whole lot you know and um they shared a used car my mom cleaned houses and anyway when i i I, when I got out, they, they had, they had done really well. My, my dad had worked the same place and they, anyway, they had, they had a a house, a rental house in safety Harbor and they let me stay there on the cheap, you know, and uh, they had a lot of regrets about how things had gone for me and they wanted to help me and give me the best possible chance to succeed. So I got set up. Like, I mean, like I, I had a place to stay. I had a vehicle, I had a laptop and I didn't know how to use it yet, but I had that. I had a cell phone and I had, you know, I had everything that I needed to go out and find a job. And they bought me a a year uh, membership to the Safety Harbor Spa, which overlooks Tampa Bay. And they give away vacations there on, I don't know, Wheel of Fortune or whatever. And it it was a really, it was, I, 
I, I, I thought that I had it made and I was going to take advantage of this. And so I'm, I get out and I'm working out and I found a job and, and I thought I had it together because I got a car and a place to stay and I got this and that. And I, I hadn't, I didn't get any of that stuff myself, you know, but I just thought that I'm, I'm just like everybody else. I got to, you know, and, but the fear and the sense of being different than everybody crept in, you know, over the next month or so. And, you know, I would go shopping and I would be so aware of how, I I think I, I, I would be like, I, I'm not a normal person. I might look like a normal person and I'm just shopping like a normal person shops, but I'm not a normal person. And when people are looking right. at me, they know that. And I didn't want to let, let, the, let the, my coworkers know me. And so I wouldn't, I would tell them no when they said, hey, you want to go out with us this Friday night? I said, no, I, I can't do mm-hmm. it. I have other plans because I didn't want them to know I just got out of prison after 15 years for bank robbery, you know, and I, I, <laughs> I can't imagine why. Yeah. I, I tried dating online and that did not work for me at all because I always wound up spilling my guts before we met. And then that was that, you know, about what I had been through. And I really just wanted to connect, but I didn't know how, and I was scared and I, I, I started to suffer you know? And, and so I, I did, I started smoking weed again. I started drinking and it was just a, for me, it was just a matter of time before I started smoking crack again. And I did. And, uh, I got arrested for possession of cocaine and I, I wound up beating that charge, uh, because I actually was, was set up, you know, I, it was a plant, you know, I didn't really have any cocaine in my car, but I was looking for some. And, um, the officer probably thought that he was, you had a cocoa plant in your car. (laughs) <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, I was, I was looking oh, for. Oh, oh, oh! They planted. Oh, sorry, sorry. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, <laughs> <laughs> I just drive around with cocoa plants. I'm like, oh, waiting I was to, like, uh, yeah. well, the reason I, I, the reason that that isn't like the craziest thing is that for a while, I was in my drunken high, whatever stupor. Mm-hmm. I was looking for a cocoa plant because apparently I thought I was going to do something with it. I don't know what. <laughs> so, so I was like, "Oh, you had a cocoa plant." So, anyway, that's embarrassing. No, um, I, I, hey, if there were cocoa plants around and I knew about it, I would have. I, I've, <laughs> I've been right with you, you know. So. <laughs> Uh, anyway, so, I, I was set up. I didn't really have any cocaine in the car, but I'm sure the officer had ran my tag and he knew who, you know, right. I got to get this guy at the streets, you know? And so, uh, I wound up beating the charge and my, my dad hired me a lawyer actually. And I never had a lawyer before. I always had a public defender. And, wow. um, so I beat it and, and I robbed a bank the week, a week later after I got found. <laughs> um, yeah. And the whole year leading up to the trial was just one train wreck after another. And I mean, you know, a really crazy story. And anyway, I, I, this time they saw that, hey, wait a minute, this, there's something wrong with this guy. <laughs> you know, there, he's, you know, he's, we're, we got him in the booking station. He's talking about federal agents and, and all this stuff. And, and I'm all wigged out. And so, I wound up getting committed uh, to a a mental health facility. Um, it, it, it was kind of like a, an, not an outpatient program, but I was free in that I lived in a supervised kind of apartments and I would have to go somewhere during the day and do book work and class work and interact and group meetings and stuff like that. And um, it was just pending trial. It's like, wasn't over with the, the bankruptcy right. origin, but they would take us to meetings, you know, and that was my first exposure to real exposure to, um, to recovery is going to those meetings. What do you think the mental health program, they would take you to, were they NAAA, like what type of 12 step 
meetings did you go to? Those two, and they would rotate it, you know. Um, okay. And so we would we would go to those, and and uh, I I kind of I you know I could felt like I could relate with a lot of people on certain levels, but I just really wasn't ready, and I I would still do bin, go on binges and uh, wake up at in, in mental hospitals. I I would wake up on the street sometimes, and and I things got really really crazy, you know, because I I I had this safety net. Of, of being at the mental health place, but I, I, I kept absconding from there and, and getting in trouble, you know, and, uh, and I would swear to myself, I wasn't going to use again. And then I, I sure enough, I, I, I would. And then there it goes Don for a week. And, and, um, uh, I'm so, surprised they didn't put you in jail at that point. Yeah. Well, I, I, the, 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 the police somehow, yeah, I know. I, I, there are so many incidences that are just, just, mind-boggling just near misses with the like the cops didn't Mm -hmm. put one and one together and find out oh that's him you know and so i mean they had computers and everything i don't know but i guess they just weren't weren't all interconnected with the agencies or whatever but so i i yeah i i I was in and out you know and i got to the point where um uh, they did kick me out of that program uh, but I, they allowed me to, I had kind of progressed. They found another program for me. Uh, it was similar okay. to that one, but this one program would not take me anymore. And another one did. And I was on assistance. I was on SSI, which is a form of disability because of my, my mental state. And, you know, so I'm here, I am, I'm, I'm, I'm 45 in 2011. I'm on disability for my mental state. And I'm, um, I've got this horrible history and I've got a bank robbery charge hanging over my head and I've never had a low like I did during this time. And I thought yeah. there was no hope for me that I, I am a horrible person and that, you know, my whole reason to be here is just to be an example of what not to do. You know, there's, <laughs> there's, there's, if there's any reason for me to be here, that's it. And, uh, it's a warning and, and, uh, you know, it was really a horrible feeling. And I, I made a few attempts at suicide uh, that didn't turn out well. And, and, uh, I, I, um, you know, I, I really, really was in a bad place. And, uh, the, the feelings, you know, the thing now knowing now is all the feelings that I had stuffed and that I had disregarded and I, I, uh, you know, been disconnected from, they were still there, you know, they were deep within in my, in, in my body, you know, they, 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 they were part of me, you know, and I just, I, I, I had never dealt with that. And, and so, you know, it was, it was starting to pop out here and there, you know, I just couldn't hold it in, you know, it was like the, the, the dam was about to break and, um, as, as, as strong as I had been, as hard as I had tried, you know, I, I just couldn't, I couldn't deal with it no more. And it was just too much for me, you know? And, uh, and that was when I had a breakthrough and, um, it's I, always darkest before dawn. Yes. How did you, so your sobriety date is March 22nd of 2013. Yes. What happened for you to get sober? Well, well, first there was, there was the first, my first stretch at sobriety was about 15 months. And so in, in 2011, I, I was at a recovery meeting and they were talking about uh, being self-centered and, and self-centered fear. And I don't know why, but I, I just stopped listening to him because it made me think of some things and, and I questioned why was I afraid and am I afraid? And, and I don't know, I just, I, after it was like a kind of like a domino effect. And I, I, I saw that, that uh, I had been afraid of all my life 
afraid all my life and, and, and disconnected and, and, and why, you know, what is it that I'm afraid of? And I realized that I thought, you know, I never consciously thought I was a horrible person. It's not like I thought I'm so horrible, you know, but I realized that underneath it all, that that's what it was. And I, I, I asked myself, well, 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 am I, am I really horrible? And I kind of, it was like something out of a, a, a I don't know, like a book or <laughs> I, I had this, 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 a spiritual kind of like awakening. I, I saw that, that, uh, that I was just as good as anybody else. You know, I saw that I was a good person and I was, I deserved a good life regardless of all that shit that I went through, you know, and that, that I was worth fighting for and that, that there was a life left for me, you know, yeah. even though it didn't look like it. And I was, I was, uh, when I talk about it, I still get re- really emotional, <laughs> you know, cause, uh, I had been through so much. I I had caused myself to suffer so much. I I I had been on a campaign of self abuse, you know, mm. and I finally saw that I didn't deserve that. And I I I uh, you know, before that, they told me to call somebody if I think I'm going to use, you know, and I was never able to do that because it was like the, like the, the full moon had come out and I was the wolf man, you know? And, and I, I would <laughs> right. just, these thoughts of getting high would just take over me and my body would react and my stomach would flip and my knees would buckle and I would have to take a shit. That's how bad it would get. And I couldn't say no to that. And, but after I saw that, I saw that I was worth it. You know, I, I it gave me a space when, when that, feeling came over me again i didn't just just react i actually picked up the phone and called somebody and and that was the beginning of my recovery journey and uh it was the beginning of 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 really knowing through experience that all i had to do is 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 recognize that i'm connected with other people that i am good enough and to reach out my hand reach out my hand for help and there is something healing about that there was in and of itself, you know, I got the voicemail the first time I, I made that call and, and it didn't matter. The fact was that I reached out for help and, 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 and it strengthened me, you know, and, uh, I saw that it worked. And so, um, I kept doing that and I started to put a life together, you know, and I started doing some work, uh, working with a sponsor, you know, um, looking at things in my history and, 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 and dealing with that. And, it was a crazy time. I, I, I was at the homeless shelter, uh, when this occurred and, um, I would take the bus to go see my sponsor and to go to different meetings. And, you know, I got a set of friends that, uh, we, we helped each other and they, they helped me and I felt like I got them and they got me and, and they didn't care that I'd been in prison all those years. I could talk about that, you know, yeah. and I could talk about this crazy shit that, that goes on in my head sometimes. And, and, uh, I started to feel safe. And that safety and that connection is what created the room to start to recover. And uh, yeah, it was really, it's it's incredible what feeling safe can do. You know, it's like, it's interesting how the thread throughout your story that I hear is like, you weren't, you did not feel safe. And over and over again, it was shown to you that you weren't safe. And, you know, even when you were doing the things to perpetuate that, there's no question that, um, you know, again, that the trauma was compounding, but also the behavior was compounding. But, you know, I do hear a lot of the thread of safety and how, you know, when you felt safe and uh, funny enough, like this is, you have this case hanging over your head, you have, you're in a homeless shelter, like for all intents and purposes, not the safest situation, but it's when we feel safe that we have permission to recover. Yeah. Yeah. And 
exactly. That's that's kind of that's how it played out. And um, you know, I, I talked about the um, you know the things that I kind of went through, uh, religion and spirituality and prison and all that. And mm-hmm. I've always you know, kind of been there in a way, you know, what's my purpose and what's, what's, what's my meaning and, and why am I here? And I want to, I want to, I want to matter, you know, and I want to do something that matters that will affect things positively, affect people positively. And I've always had that in me. And I, I, uh, I started to feel like I was like getting in the groove as far as that goes. I'm finally going to start, you know, feeling that I'm fitting in somewhere and that this all, everything's good. You know, and safety, yeah, that's that's part of that. Knowing, you know, knowing where I fit in, and um, so, uh, you know, and I, 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 during that time, there was there was just so much going on in terms of my status and what's going to happen with me, and and this and that, and and I kept being reminded, and I just need to focus on staying clean and and recovering, mm-hmm. you know, and everything else will work itself out. Trust the process, you know. There's, and I also believe that there was something to this process that went beyond my understanding, something bigger than me, and that I was starting to hook into something that 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 was kind and loving and cared for me, you know. And that was a big help for me to believe that I I I saw evidence of that, you know, unfolding in my life. And you know, I I, I right in the beginning of the homeless shelters when I met my wife. <laughs> yeah it's uh do tell yeah, do, yeah you also you also got a bag a bag got a job at a local uh, at a software company that makes bank software which i also think is hilarious but yes tell me how you met your wife were you in the homeless shelter when you w- met your wife i i was i i i was i was there <laughs> and uh i i i went to a, a meeting on the beach and um uh, you know there was everybody was sitting in a circle and there was one space right right next to me and, and i look up and she comes walking around this there's this uh this dune this sand dune there and then she sits down next to me and she i say hi i'm don and she said i'm Bree, and you know so and i just felt in my heart that wow you know this is <laughs> this is for me you know and and this whole i want to experience connection i want to experience love and i don't I, I know it sounds really crazy but i just knew in my heart this is the way after i heard her speak you know i mm-hmm. i just felt like i got her you know and uh my sponsor told me you know on the way back uh from that meeting that you know that familiar feeling um usually that means that's a our unconscious part of us that are seeking out the same type of partner that's unhealthy for us. And, and as in codependence, you know, <laughs> and, uh, I thought he was full of shit because, uh, I had never really had any type of relationships with women to speak of. And so I'm like uh, a clean slate and no baggage at all here. <laughs> and, uh, uh, anyway, we, we didn't, uh, <laughs> we didn't, you know, we, we were friends at, at first, but over the next few months, you know, that changed. And, uh, Everybody was warning us, don't do that, don't do that. You know, you're gonna you're gonna wreck yourself. And um, and it was it was tough learning how to be in a relationship uh when I was so green when it came to that. And but but uh I put my recovery first and and, and we both did. And she was she had just got a treatment herself and her, she's got her own story. And so anyway, that and, and during this time I did, I got I got a job doing doing software development. Um first I, I went back to school and I took some courses. And the short version is, is that we, we, we got married a, a, a year and a half later <laughs> and, um, and she got pregnant and I wasn't done with school and we're renting a, a $600 a month house that had just looked like it was about to fall over and, uh, things were rough and I'm still on disability. And, you know, it's like, this is, 
it, it was, it was tough. And, and so I didn't have, I thought that the only way that I could get a good job was by, to get that degree first, you know, and because mm-hmm. with my history, I need something on paper that says, okay, this guy is, is okay, despite all of that. And so, uh, but necessity, you know, I, 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 my wife's pregnant and, and I got to get a job. And so that pays more than this telemarketing gig that I'm doing. And, and plus at that job, they, they, they spoke badly to us, you know, and this is the only place you guys can work and, you know, um, with histories like yours and you, you better be glad that you're here. And I was just like, screw that, you know, and she's pregnant and I'm, I'm out of here. And I left on the spot and I went and I found this job, an entry level software development job for a company that does make, um, uh, financial services software that that serves banks too you know and uh so we we uh i started there and and uh i started applying the principles that i've been learning about being honest mm-hmm. and being being vulnerable you know just being myself with the with the people that i was working with and 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 they liked me you know and i would go you know i would talk to my sponsor about some of the crazy thoughts in my head they hate me and they don't like me and this and that and and i'm so different from them and this is not going to work and you know and he would redirect me and talk me off the ledge and and i would just keep showing up and you know to make a long story short i i uh uh, we did really well there and I wound up becoming the director of software development and we have offices in Europe and over here and over there and across and, 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 and I have a team of, of 30 people that I'm managing and leading. And, um, it's, it's like mind boggling that I, I wind up in this situation and, and I didn't just wind up in it. I, I grew into that, you know, and right, uh, developed right. relationships with people and, and, uh, and kept my word. And, um, and I learned that I had something to offer, you know, and when we would hire someone new, it's like they knew so much more than me about software and they were, they were sharp, you know, and, uh, you know, I, I would have to go Google stuff afterwards to, see what they were <laughs> talking about after the interview, you know? <laughs> and, uh, but I just focused on trying to help people and be successful, you know, and I wound up mm-hmm. leaving that department and, and, um, uh, you know, I, two children, uh, and we became a homeowner and, uh, you know, yeah. So I wound up with a life, uh, a family and being connected and being successful. And, and for a guy like me, that's just, that's amazing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I was talking about that recently, how like, you know, sometimes I, you know, I have two little, I have twin four-year-old boys and, and a minivan and a husband and a dog and, you know, and all the stuff and, and how like sometimes the normalcy can feel daunting because it's so like, I'm, it's so normal. Right. And then I realized that normal is extraordinary for me. Like the ordinary is extraordinary for a person like me because, that's not what happens to most of us. And that's kind of what it sounds like to me with you is like you, this software job, you know, to some people that's like, yeah, that's what I went to school for. But like for people like you and me, this kind of stuff is extraordinary. It, that normal living is, is really just unreal for us. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I, I, I get that. And, um, it was, um, it, it, when yeah well, go ahead sorry. oh sorry go ahead oh. when did you decide to um when did you decide to write a book with your story the prison within that just came out right yes yeah that came out in november and um i i um november 2020 and i i just knew that i wanted to tell my story and they're actually kind of what led up to it was i, I began writing and i was going to write a, a book and and i was just kind of 
toying with it, doing a little writing here and there. And but what was happening in my life at that time was I I I had become kind of fearful. You know, I mm-hmm. I I had a house and a couple cars, and my uh, my wife is is part of different moms groups, and my wife is a yoga teacher too, and she's got her yoga friends, and 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 I didn't I didn't want them or my neighbors to, to know about me, you know, cause I'm just the guy, the successful guy down the street. And I kind of got self-conscious all over again, you know, as I became mm. normal, you know, I don't want right. you to know that I'm really not normal. And so a lot of that crept <laughs> right back up and, and at work, um, I, a lot of, only a few people at work knew my history, uh, some uh, a couple a couple guys that I work with closely and, and got to know and and they really looked up to me you know and uh, for what I had been through and uh, and still yet there I was you know and, and but but the the company didn't know and our business partners sure as hell didn't know I thought you know and so you know it turns it, out they don't do background checks I guess <laughs> well it, it's they they. I got in at an early time when, when a lot of yeah. that wasn't you know, a big thing and, and, and I proved my value, you know, and so they figured out a way to, you know, and they trusted me. They knew I wasn't going to do anything with my access yeah. to, to things. And so, uh, and I wouldn't. And, and, um, so anyway, I, I was afraid that the, my work as a whole would find out our business partners, I would get fired and what kind of person would that, that make me? I would be a horrible guy to have made it this far and then everything go to crap and, and, and what kind of a dad does that, you know? And so I was going through all this and, and, uh, my company invited me to speak, uh, at a high school graduation ceremony, not for graduating for the school year, but for a particular program that my company sponsored. And it was pairing students with tutors to help improve their grades. And they would get paid at the end of the 12 week tutoring session, uh, cash award for, for completing it. It was called paid for grades. And, and, uh, the owner asked me to, to speak and, um, to do the keynote. And so, and so I did. And, uh, and it was really, I got a lot out of doing that. And I was glad that I was able to tell part of my story, but I kept it really vanilla. You know, I didn't, I didn't talk about the insanity and the, 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 the prison. I left a lot of stuff out, you know, and, uh, you know, uh, but over the next year, I, I, I started speaking at homeless shelters and places like that. And I knew that's what I wanted to do. So I began writing and writing with intention to, to do this. And so I decided I was going to come out, you know. <laughs> and so on, on <laughs> Facebook, I, I said, you know, um, I'm coming out of the closet, everybody. I'm going to tell you something. I made it public and everything. And I, I told my whole story, you know. And uh, and I got such I thought I was afraid when I walked into work the next day because I thought that. You know, people would want to look me in the eye, but people, the response was like overwhelming, you know, that people were honored to know somebody like me who had been through that. And here I am. And they would have never guessed it. And wow, man, that's that's incredible. That's amazing. And and I was able to take my two worlds because I had been kind of starting to live a double life and and, and make it want it. And, And it felt so good to just be transparent about who I am, what I've been through and where I'm going, you know. And, uh, yeah. that's, you know, and the book, you know, came out, um, last year. And so that's kind of what led up to that. And I, my, my purpose for the book was to, you know, I, I learned that I could write too. You know, I, 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 um, got a little help and some coaching and, uh, worked with a couple editors and, and, uh, they would go over what I wrote and then give me some feedback. And, but I did write it and, and, uh, and it, turns out it's well-reviewed and uh, it's a page turner. And, and, but the, the important thing to me about it is, is it talks about that inward journey and, and tells 
the story, you know, that I'm explaining here in detail. And I, I want people to know that, that there's hope and, and that they do have purpose and they do have meaning. And it's a matter of self-forgiveness and connection and, you know, all those things that we've been talking about. And so I feel like I was able to really feel like that's one of the greatest things I've ever done in my life is write that book. And, um, so, so yeah, I, I was able to do that and I'm very happy and grateful for that. And now you are currently in an RV and you're in Tucson and what are you guys, you're with your family yes. traveling. What's, what's that look like? Well, I, I, I realized that, um, both my wife and I, she, she does yoga for recovery and, uh, teaches yoga. And I, you know, I, I do some speaking and, and, um, there's the book and, um, I do some coaching. And, and so I wanted to do that full time and my wife wanted to do, you know, her, her thing, continue doing that as well. And, and it was hard having a full-time job and, 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 and doing that too. It's, it becomes a side thing, you know? Right. And, um, so we, uh, I, we started from scratch all over again, you know, it's not, not really from scratch. You know, we're not in that, that upside down house with the, <laughs> you know, where we're living, you know, but I, I quit my job and we sold our house and I got an RV and a, and a truck and uh fifth wheel and we are traveling throughout the United States right now. And I'm kind of supporting the book and doing some speaking and, and creating, creating things to help people. And she's doing the same. And we're homeschooling our children and showing them America. And uh, it's hard and it's crazy and it gets really insane sometimes. <laughs> and it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a journey and it's learning, but it, it, it's, it's, it's incredible. And I'm, I'm so grateful that this is what recovery has done for me. You know, it gave me the choice to be able to do this. I could have stayed and I can go back today if I want, you know, that's the type of yeah. relationship that I, I have with my, my, my employers. And, uh, so today I have, I have a lot of choices and, um, you know, I, I, I'm so grateful for that and, and, uh, that I have some self-acceptance and I can, I can be there for other people today and be connected. I love that. I love that. And I like that you like, you know, I like that we're ending on choices that you have choices today because, you know, when we're starting off talking about your story, like it doesn't start off with a lot of choices. It starts off with your story starts off and continues on until, you know, pretty, pretty, you know, midlife, not a lot of choices, a lot of, you know, a lot of choices being made for you. And I love that you today, you have a lot of choices and that recovery has given you choices because I relate to that a lot. Recovery has given me a lot of choices and addiction put me in a lot of scenarios that took those choices away. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so glad we're here. Yeah. Me too. <laughs> me too. And then our kids get to have a different, you know, have a different experience hopefully and, 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 raised with more choices than we had. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Don. I really, really appreciate it. Where can people find you and your book? Well, the book, The Prison Within, A Memoir of Breaking Free, uh, it's on Amazon, Barnes Noble. And uh, if you Google that, or if you Google my name, Don Cummins, uh, C-U-M-M-I-N-S, and it's all right there. My website is doncummins.com, but there's a hyphen between the Don and the Cummins. So, but there, it's all there, social, my Insta, my Facebook, and all of that. And so, yeah. Awesome. 
Awesome. Well, we'll put all that information out and and we look forward, I look forward to to hearing about more of this trip that you're on as you as you go on it. And um, I'm, I hope your book continues to be wildly successful. Yes. Thank you so much. Thank you for, for having me on. I'm, um, it's my pleasure and I'm very grateful to share this time with you. Thank you. Thanks so much. This podcast is sponsored by lionrock.life. LionRock.life is a recovery community offering free online support group meetings, useful recovery information, and entertainment. Visit www.lionrock.life to view the meeting schedule and find additional resources. Find the joy in recovery at LionRock.life.